And so Valentine's Day, let me tell you this. So John chapter 15 is where we're going to be starting in verse 9. And so if you don't know where that is, just look at the table of contents. No shame in looking at that uh, to find your place. Uh, but as you're turning there, I want to tell you about uh, my story of love. So when Darren and I, when I was in college, we started dating. And um, I, we were long distance for, uh, we started dating right before our sophomore year of college. We were long distance for that one year. And uh, it was good times and also not as good times because it's hard being long distance. But, uh, but, but I decided that I, I loved her. And I wanted to tell her that I loved her. And so instead of waiting until like we were together or whatever, I was like, you know what? Just one morning, I was laying on my bed, and I just, I texted it to her. I'm serious. That's, that is how I told Dara I loved her for the very first time. I also asked her out over Facebook. No, it's no big deal, really. But that's my story of love. So, so but here's the thing. Is there something, in, there's a desire in all of us to, to feel love and experience love. And so we grasp for it in many ways. And so culturally, a lot of things we do are about love and a lot of things we watch. For example, most of us watch The Bachelor in here. And I, okay, I'm a closet slash not so closet secret fan of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and The Bachelor in Paradise and whatever else. And, uh, and these shows, like, it's the whole, the whole point is, is people want to find this specific person that's going to be the one that they're going to spend the rest of their life, and they meet, and it's going to be the right choice of the person who's there for the right reasons. And they get together, and like, this is it, the pinnacle of life. I have found the one my soul loves. Like, this is it. And like, but the reality is, like, most of those people don't work out after the show ends. A couple months later, they're, they've broken up by that point. But, but culturally for us, or just, just personally, we all want to feel love and experience love. And, uh, and so Jesus here, he's coming into John chapter 15, and this is, this is probably the last night of his life. Potentially, we don't know exactly. But he starts to teach his disciples about what life looks like as a true follower of him. And he says, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to be someone who follows me, then you've got to be someone who remains in me. And he gives a picture of a tree or like a vine. And he says, I am like the main vine, and you are someone who's grafted in. You are a branch. And so you have attained me. You are with me, but now your call is to remain there. And then he goes on and he says, here's one avenue for remaining in me, and that is through loving. And so he, that's where he begins. And so look at verse 9, and he says this, As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love, and if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. Let's pray real quick as we dig into God's Word this morning. So, we, Father, we, we love you, and we thank you for your Word, and we thank you for sitting Jesus for us to be our vine, the conduit that we have to attain you and a relationship with you. And so we got to pray that you would uh, open our hearts, open our minds to hear what you want to say to us this morning, and that the Spirit would work in our hearts and open us up to uh, to hearing this and taking this in and being people who, who understand that we are fully loved by you and that allows us or empowers us to go and live out just like you. And so we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So as I read those verses, let me tell you the, the ideal or the, the, what Jesus just said in that in a different way. Here's what Jesus just said. He said, as the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. Here's what he said. Let Jesus' love for you lead you to love him back and for that to fill you with joy. That is what he's saying here. He's saying, being someone who follows me and who remains attached to me, you are a vine, you are, I mean, you're a branch holding on to the vine. He says, let his love for you lead you to love him in return and for that to fill you with joy, for you to actually like it. That is his, that's his starting point or his ideal here. That is what the Christian life looks like. As someone who understands that you are fully loved by God and then that to enable you or empower you to love him in return and your, live your life out in loving him and then for you to actually enjoy it. That's what he says. That's what he says. But there's a problem. Because for many of us here is we don't feel loved. Like we don't feel like we don't feel like we're loved, and in our, our experience, like our past experiences, has marred us to this, to where we associate God's love with something else. So, if, so for some of us, it may be we associate the term love with a harsh father, or with a with a with a with an anger-filled or trustless marriage, or with a past with an, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or something, to where to where after the fact you just feel used, or you just feel. Uh, you just feel like as though you, you just have always needed to earn someone's love to where there was a relationship there instead of that was really more of a transaction to where like, I'll give you love if you do this for me. And so, and so you always felt like you had to earn something or you just felt like things just haven't always gone right. And so you just, you don't feel like you're actually loved. You don't feel like it. And that, and that experience translates into how we think about God because we just view him as another guy or another thing that we have to earn, another set of love that we have to attain. And that plays into our, like our universal idea of deity, and that there's an angry God out there that we have to appease in some manner because of the relationships we've had that have clouded our minds as to what love really is. But Jesus' starting point, I want you to see this. Look at his starting point back in verse 9. Because here is his solution. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Here's what he just said. In Christ, you are already loved. That's his solution. You are already loved. There's nothing left to attain. And in fact, you are loved to the same degree as the love that he has with his Father. So, so the love that God the Father has for God the Son is the same degree of the love that the Son has for you. Isn't that profound? And that's what he's saying. That is his starting point for here. And then look what he says next. He says, as the Father loved me, I have also loved you. And that is your foundation. That is your basis. You are already loved. There's nothing left to attain. And then here's what he says, remain in my love. That's kind of a strange statement because it sounds like the opposite of like, okay, that's something I have to continually do. I have to continually come back and attain love. Here's translation for that. You have this foundation of being loved by God 
which is the premier way God is described through all the way throughout the Bible, is that He is loving. You have this foundation, and what He's saying is, continue to build on that. Continue to build on that. Remain in my love. Build on the foundation that you've already got. And so, re- remaining is a, is a, it's a theme in John's writing. So, John wrote the Gospel of John in the first, second, and third John in Revelation. And, and to remain, or some translations may say abide, this is a common theme in John's writings. And here's, here's what he's getting at. Here, here are the ways he says. He says to remain in Christ, to remain in his love, and to remain in his word. These are three ways that he is telling us to remain, and he's constantly going back to this picture of, I am the vine, you are a branch grafted on, hold on to me, run after me. And so what he's saying, remaining in him is a picture of the Christian life, of you have this foundation of love. And so from, what the point, from that point on, he says, what are you going to do with it? He's like, I want you to build on it. I want you to build on it. So when you, were, when, when you started dating your spouse and you first said, I love you, when I first texted Darren, I said, I love you. And that, like, that wasn't the end of the relationship. That set the foundation from that point forward. After she texted me and she said, I don't think this is the, pri- the right medium for this. And uh, she was riding the bus to school at A&M. And uh, so we talked. Well, you know, we said it like, face-to-face next time we saw each other. And I just, you know, just... She t- eventually told me she loved me back. But, but, but that set the foundation for our relationship moving forward. And so that's not the end point. It's God saying, I love you, and then I'm going to go and just forget about this and move on and do whatever I want and, and, and leave. You're, he says, no, that's your foundation. Now remain. Hold fast to that. Build upon that foundation. And that is what Jesus is saying here. That's what he's saying here. This is your foundation. Let Jesus' love for you lead you to love him back. How do you demonstrate love for God? Look what he says in verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. How do you demonstrate love for God? Obedience. How does that How is that a picture of loving Him in return? Because if you follow God's commands, it says, I trust you enough to do it. It says, I trust that when you command me to do something, it is for my good, and I'll be better off because I do it. And so when you demonstrate obedience, and that that is showing to God that you love Him and that you trust Him, and that is His call. But look at this. Look at this. This is crazy. Just as this is Jesus talking, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Did you catch that? Jesus is not commanding us to do anything he has not done himself. We've all had a manager or, or seen someone that is always quick to give commands, but you know in your mind that person would never actually do this thing. Like when I was a, a janitor for a while, like people would throw things out, and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, why are you throwing that cardboard on the ground? There's, there's a trash can right there. Like, why are you expecting me to do it? When like, y'all know, like we've all been through that, like that experience of, of being told to do something you know your manager would never do himself. Con- on, the, on the opposite side, when you have a leader 
who leads from the front and who, who will do everything that he can, and you know they'll do everything they command you to do, that person is worthy of following. And you're like, man, I'll do that. I'll follow that guy. I respect that guy. And Jesus is, that's what, the way Jesus is. He doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't done. And do, but catch what he says here. He kept his father's command and remained in his father's love. Here's what's happening. He was in no danger of losing that love. He was in no danger of losing it, but he, just like us, was called to build upon that foundation that he had. That's what he was doing. And then look what, look what this is supposed to lead to in our lives. Look at verse 11. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Loving God as a result of Him loving you should lead to joy in your life. Listen to this. There was a study. There's a pod, I love podcasts. There's one called uh, Hidden Brain, and there was a, there was a, a psychologist on there who, who was talking about a study he did in which he's talking about people who, uh, who, were, who were making com- irrevocable commitments. And so he said, we've studied people who've made a commitment and others who made a decision but had the opportunity to reverse it if they wanted. And he said, we always think if we have the escape plan or if we have the ability to get out of the decision we made, we think that we'll be happier because we'll have more options. But he said, what our studies have shown over and over again is that the people who've made the decision that is irrevocable are substantially happier with the decision they made than those who have the ability to reverse it. And he said, this has a bearing for how we even handle things like marriage or whatever. And, and the guy who was studying this said, I had been, I'd been living with, my, with, with a woman for 10 years. He's like, we were perfectly fine, perfectly happy. But after looking at this study, I, thought, I realized if I am a true scientist, I have to follow where the study tells me and so he said, I, I, I went home that day. He's like, and I asked my wife to marry me. And he's like, and now, 10 years later, I love being married to her. It is the best decision I ever made. Like, because when we were living together and one of us had an out, one of us had the opportunity to get out of it, he's like, I, was, I, was, I didn't realize it, but he's like, I was way less happy than I am now that I don't have the ability to get out of it. He's like, what happens in your brain over time is your brain begins to, to, to change to assume that the decision you made is actually the right one. But if you, don't, if you have the ability to reverse it, then your brain never, never makes that decision, and it's always going back and forth. Should I stay or should I not stay? Should I stay or should I not stay? But if you don't have the ability to get out, then your brain says, no, this is good. This is the best decision because you always want to cope with what you've got. In the same way, in the same way, loving God and obeying His commands will actually lead you to be happier. I'm not saying it'll lead you to better success or to better stuff in your house, but it will lead you to be happier if you put forth effort into remaining in Him. This is what verse 11 tells you. He's like, I, Jesus said, I've loved you and I'm commanding you to love me, and I'm telling you this so that you have joy in your life. 
That's what he's saying. Let your love, let Jesus' love for you lead you to love him back and for that to bring joy. That's his ideal here. So how, did, how specifically has he loved us? How has he loved you? He gives, he gives three specific examples here and how he has actually loved you. Not just like just flowery language of God loves you. No, like three real tangible ways that he has loved you. Look at verse 13. No one has greater love than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Way number one, that Jesus tangibly loved you. He laid down his life for you. Romans 5.8 says this, God proved his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He proved his love for us, and that while we were rebelling against him, we were turning away from him, we did not follow his commands, we were living in sin or just away from him, and he saw us there, and he says, I don't want you to be there anymore. I want you to understand that I love you, and that that means the best thing for you should be to come over here and you to, to love me back. That is what's best for you. And so he ran after us anyway, and he laid down his life for us. Way number one, God loves you, is Jesus died for you. Way number two, look at this, that Jesus loves you is this. No one has greater love than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Look at verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my Father. Think about this. The one through whom all creation was made, the one who is the center point of all of history, this all of history was pointing towards him, and now that he has died and risen from the dead and has ascended to heaven, all of history is pointing back to him, saying, look at this guy. He's the one who changed history. He's the one by whom we, we separate the B.C. and the A.D., or the B.C.E. and the A, you know, C.E., if you're real, whatever. And so, like, and so he's the one, like, the reason we've separated him in that manner, because it was his birth. That was the reason. And that God, that guy is the one who says to you, you're no longer just a servant. You are my friend. That is mind-boggling to me, because I know how messed up I am. Like, I know how angry I get, or I know how, like, whatever the thing is. And, but, like, that God who, who created everything and is the center point of history looks at me and says, you are my friend. That is amazing to me. But look what he says. It's not just like, I'm going to call you my bud. But he says, I, verse, second half of verse 15, I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my Father. This is a great promise from him. Now, when you were little... And your mom was uh, in the kitchen, and she had that f- the phone that had the curly you know, cord that was attached to the wall, and she was standing there in the kitchen, and she was talking to her friend that she talked to almost every day. And, they, you know, they shared every detail of everything. They're talking together, and you walk in, and you need more Kool-Aid. You need it. But you know she's on the phone, and it's another hour or so before she's going to get off because you do it every day. That friend she's talking to is Jesus here in this scenario. What Jesus says here is that there is no detail that he has left out. 
He has displayed or shared everything with us. Everything that the Father has told him, he has told to us. There is no secret in God that is hidden from you. Isn't that crazy? Jesus has revealed all things to us. His, God's full saving plan, God's full demonstration of love, every bit of it was revealed to us so that way we would know Him. There is a God out there who is desperate for you to know that He loves you, and He has given you every avenue to find Him. He wants you to know Him. He's not hiding anything from you. And look at this. Look at this promise in verse 26 of chapter 14. So look up the page a little bit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit who's going to come after he ascends back to heaven. He said, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. This is one of his greatest promises, and that he says, there is going to come someone else after me who's going to continue to teach you, continue to, to remind you about the things that the Father has told you. And so not only did he come here and teach some guys and hope that they teach some other guys, which that's part of it, but he also sent his Spirit to come and live in all believers and to continually remind you of the things of God. That is a friend. That is a friend. And here's the third way that Jesus has demonstrated love for you tangibly. You did not choose me, verse 16, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. So think back again when you were Kool-Aid age maybe a little bit older, middle school, and you head out to recess or, or you're playing with some buds, and there's a group of you, and, and you get your two team captains because you're going to play kickball or football or something. You got the two team captains, the two most athletic guys. Those are who the team captains are. It's not me. And so we're out there, and, and, and they're picking their teams, and most of us have a story of being the guy who's picked last, right? Like most, like we were just talking about the guy who's picked last. Like most, that's most of us. We were all picked last at one point, right? We all have that, that memory of being the guy who's left there and like picking everyone around you. Like, like I'll pick that blade of grass, okay? Whatever it is, but they're not picking me. I'm like, what guys, I promise I can run, you know? And so you, we all have that, that, that memory or that idea of someone there. But here's, the, here's what Jesus just said. I choose you. Not just to be on my team. He's coming to you. And he's coming to you and he says, I want you first. The God out there, the God out there who, who divides history is coming to you and he says, you didn't choose me. I came to you and I chose you to be on my team. And so here's what he does. Here's, what, here's what he, how he loved us. He gives us a place and he gives us a purpose. So it's not that you loved him. It's not that you ran after him. It's not that, that you decided one day that you needed God and you're going to follow him. No. What he's saying is if you came to me, it was me who did that. 
I chose you, and I plucked you off that ground, and I put you on my team. That is love. That is love. And so against our arrogance, or, or, and especially in light of verse 15, uh, which it says, I don't call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything I've heard from my Father. Jesus both reminds us and encourages us by saying that we were chosen to be his holy people out of his kindness. And this is against the norm. So back then, when he chose disciples, there would be a rabbi, and they would have disciples who would follow him. So Jesus wasn't the only rabbi. There were tons of rabbis. But how it worked is a, is a, is a, is a pupil would go and attach themselves to a rabbi after passing their specific tests, and you'd say, I want to follow this guy. And he'd be like, okay, let's see if you can make it. But against that, Jesus, Rabbi Jesus, is coming to us and says, no, I'm not going to wait on you to come and try to find me. Out of my love for you, because I want you to be my friend, I'm going to come grab you and put you on my team anyway. That's what he says. That's what Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, I'll read that to you real quick. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6 is this, for he chose us in him. The Father chose you to be in Christ, if you are in Christ, before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Why did God choose you to be on his team? Because he felt like it. Isn't that crazy? That is love. To the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. That is what he says. And here's what he says. I have put you on my team and I've given your life a purpose. So I've, I've been reading a book about depression. And, uh, and so for many of us, uh, we, we know we, either we struggle with it or we know people who struggle with depression and anxiety. And so contemporary science or contemporary thought is that there's a, there's some, like most of us, we think, oh, there's a chemical imbalance. I got to go get some medicine or whatever it is. And for, for, for some of us, that is le- genetics are le- legitimately, legitimately a factor. For some of us, that, that is real. But did you know, out of roughly nine-ish reasons that someone might be depressed, only one or two of them are genetics? Other reasons... Other factors that lead to us being depressed or having anxiety have nothing to do with what's happening inside of our head, with your biology or whatever it is. There are factors external to you. One of them is loneliness. One of them is is being detached from meaningful work. One of them is having no sense of a hope for your future, that you feel like it's hopeless. One of them is is not, not having a foundation of like a family or a love. And so there are, there are external factors that lead to us being depressed. And what Jesus is saying here is that he loved us enough to come to us and give us a community to make us his friend. And the second thing is this, is to give us a place and to give us a purpose. And so there's already things within Jesus. This isn't going to fix everything for us, but there's already things within Jesus in which he's working to help us, to keep us away from, from different mental issues in which he, as he's saying, follow me, and I want to lead you. I want to lead you on the pathway towards uncloudiness. And so he says, I want to, I, I've given you a place and a purpose. It's the third way 
that he's demonstrated love. Look what he says. Here's, here's your mission. You didn't choose him. He chose you. He gave you a place, and here's what he did. He gave you a purpose. I appointed you to what? Go, produce fruit, because you're, remember, you're on the vine, and you're a branch. You're supposed to produce fruit. That's being a part of the vine. Go, produce fruit, and that your fruit should remain. This is John's way of saying the Great Commission, in which in Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, he says, uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here is John's Great Commission. He says, Jesus says, I appointed you to go, produce fruit, and then that fruit should remain. He's saying, go and tell other people how much I love them. And then lead that fruit to come find me and remain unto me. That's discipleship. That's teach them to observe all that I've commanded. That's what he's saying. That's your purpose. As someone holding on to the vine to lead other people to how to find sustenance in that vine. That's what he's saying. That's your purpose. But then look at this. Because Jesus is saying this, he's telling us all about his love for us for this reason. This is our command here. Look at verse 12. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. And then he bookends it again in verse 17. This is what I command you. Love one another. Why does he tell us all about his love before he tells us to love everyone else? Because he knows that if we're running on empty, we can't do it. He knows if you haven't experienced his love, then you can't go and, and give love to other people. And so he spends all of this time telling all of the ways that the God of the universe has so desperately loved you and brought you into his family and brought you into his church in order that he might then tell you, go and do likewise. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. That is his solution. We are empowered to love other people because God loves us. And so when you're filled up, when you, when you recognize how much love that God has demonstrated toward you, that is what enables you to turn to someone else and say, you know what, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you today. And so as the band comes up, that's where he is. That's what, that's, what, that's what our command is. That's what Jesus says. And so for some of us here today, we might still be stuck on the being loved by God because we may not feel that or haven't experienced that or we just don't know what that's like or we haven't ever given ourselves to that. And so for some of us here today, maybe the call for you is to come to God and say, listen, I, I've heard that you love me. I've never experienced that kind of love. I've never felt that you've loved me. I've always kind of felt kind of distant from you. I've never had any kind of a relationship with you. And maybe for you this morning, the, this is an opportunity for you to say, God, I want to experience that. I want to know more about Jesus because I want that in my life. And that's your opportunity. It's not your only opportunity, but it is an opportunity. And so maybe that's what you need to do during this next time. It's just, it's just pray to him and say, God, I want to experience that kind of love. I want to know that you love me in that manner. Help me to understand who Jesus is. And if you want to talk to someone about that, I'll be right over here in the corner. 
The second for those of us who, who, who do know who Jesus is, who have experienced that, or, or, or you listen to this and you're like, yes, I get that. I'm there. I understand that. God loves me. Then here's the call is to go and love like God loves. That's what he's saying. Let my love empower you to love other people. Not in order to gain more love. Not in order to, to help you keep it because it's already there. You're not losing it. But build upon that foundation. Remain in his love. Let's pray. Father, come before you. We thank you for your word. And it teaches us about you and about the way you love us. So pray that you're speaking to us this morning, leading into this week. God, help us to recognize and remember the ways that you love us. And through the Spirit working in our lives, I pray that you would continually remind us that, hey, I love you, that I love you, I love you. And I pray that you would bring that to mind all the time. And for those of us who are not here, God, I pray, I mean, who, who don't know you, God, I pray that you would capture our hearts with this. There would be something compelling in this that would draw us to you because you're a compelling God. And I pray that you would lead the rest of us to be people who, who would live like you through the power of the Spirit working in our lives because you have filled us up to make your name great. And so I love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.